have a Bible, open it up to 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 16. And if you don't have one with you, but you'd like to follow along with us, there's some black Bibles under the chairs, and we'll be on page 986. So you can grab one of those black Bibles to follow along. 986, 1 Thessalonians 2. Um, this is our last week of our three weeks focusing on discipleship. Our vision as a church is that we would glorify God by multiplying followers of Christ among every people group. That's what God has called us to from the end of Matthew 28, what's often called the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, followers of Christ. Um, and then the way that we do that is encouraging people to trust in God's grace in community and then submit to the Bible in community and then to go and be the church uh, doing ministry in community, serving others. Uh, and so this text will uh, kind of bring those things out today, and we're calling it community as discipleship, community as discipleship. What is community? What does it really look like from a biblical sense? And what we'll see in First Thessalonians 2, in a way, is, is like a paradigm for how Paul did ministry. So he's going to talk about how he did ministry when he planted the church, when he got the work started among the believers in Thessalonica. Um, so we're going to kind of see, okay, this is, this is what ministry should look like. So it's a picture uh, of what it should look like. We'll read chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. So if you'll follow along with me. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they could be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. Let me pray and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we ask for help. We recognize um, that we come in with a cultural confusion, uh, distance from when this was first written, uh, distractions, things on our heart and our mind, and, and we ask that you would open, open us up so that we would receive from you what, what you have to say to us, what it looks like to be a part of your community. We thank you that through Christ you offer us adoption into your family, that we can, we can be yours, we can be your children. 
as it says in, in John chapter 1, children born not of the flesh or a husband's will, but born of God, born of the Spirit. So we pray that your Spirit would, would be at work here, that you would uh, bring us into your family and then you'd help us grow up as your family. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of different definitions of community. Um, oftentimes, community is thrown around as, a, as kind of a trendy word, you know, like if you go to Starbucks and they have warm colors and a comfortable chair, that's community, you know, but you're not talking to anybody else, you're just on your electronic device drinking coffee by yourself. But that's still community because it feels warm and fuzzy, right? And so I, I think in our culture, we have kind of confusion about what community really means. And I think this text centers community really a lot in suffering, and we'll, we'll come to that more at the end, but, but I think uh, besides just specific suffering, kind of any hard thing you've done with other people, that often bonds you with those people. Maybe you've had an experience of playing sports, or, or maybe in the military you've gone on a mission with folks or, or spent a long time working with other people. Uh, it might look just like something you've done at work with other people, maybe just a regular job, but, but you've kind of done hard work. You've suffered together, you've struggled together, and that's that's built a sense of family, a, a sense of a bond. And that, that seems to be a little bit of what Paul is talking about here in First Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, there's a great quote I found by Frederick Douglass where he uses Shakespeare's phrase, band of brothers. You know, Shakespeare's famous uh, line about uh, we happy few that spilt our blood together, we band of brothers. And he's using it in the context of war, right? And it's even been used, band of brothers has been used as the name for book that Stephen Ambrose wrote about World War II became a HBO miniseries. And so there's this concept in literature of this band of brothers, these people that have bonded together. And again, this is an idea in the New Testament. Brothers, sisters, it's used throughout the New Testament for the family, for the community that we have. Frederick Douglass was an early abolitionist, an African-American man who had found freedom and then was working to bring freedom to the other slaves in America. And Frederick Douglass says this, it's not uncommon to charge slaves with great treachery toward each other and to believe them incapable of confiding in each other. But I must say that I never loved, esteemed, or confided in men more than I did in these. They were as true as steel, and no band of brothers could have been more loving. I, th I think we all long for that kind of community, real family. As Jesus said, my real family are those that do my will. Jesus has said uh, already that real community, real family is a, being a part of his people, being a follower of Christ along with others. And so my prayer for us as a people here at Grace Bible Church is that we would learn what that looks like. And I think that's hard for us as a culture. We're a very individualistic culture. We're, we're taught at many levels to do our own thing. Two weeks ago, as we looked at discipleship, we talked about commitment as discipleship. Last week, we talked about family as discipleship. And this week, we're talking about community as discipleship. And I believe community, in the biblical sense, is both commitment and family, both of those things together. So, so let's open up the text a little more specifically. The first thing that we see as we understand what community really means through Paul's lens is affection. He starts off with affection. And this lines up with uh, Jonathan Dodson's view of discipleship in his book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship. He says there are different elements of discipleship, and one of them is relational. There's a relational aspect of discipleship. And so as we move through the text, you'll find uh, different uh, views of discipleship and community that will resonate more or less with you, probably based on 
uh, your experience in other churches, your experience as a follower of Christ, or even just the way you were raised. But what we want to do is kind of have a comprehensive view of discipleship, bring all of those things together. So the first thing that Paul hits on is affection. Do you have affection for one another in the discipleship community, in the community of followers of Christ? Is there affection that's exchanged? Look at verses 5 through 8. Affection is community. 1 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 5 here, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So he starts off with a negative. This is what he didn't do. He didn't come to you to take from you. So Paul's saying this is what ministry should look like. If you're going to have a community of discipleship, don't go taking from each other but go to give to each other. This is the contrast then, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So remember this pattern we, we talk about every week, this pattern of Jesus loves us, so we love other people. Jesus forgives us, so we forgive other people. Jesus is patient with us, so we're patient with other people. Jesus is affectionate towards us, so we're affectionate towards each other. That's what discipleship should look like. Care, love, affection. Do you have affection for others? Question B, if you don't have affection for others, maybe you don't fully understand the affection that God has for you. He loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus, to take uh, our sins upon himself to give us life, to forgive us of our sin, to raise us from the dead. And so the more deeply we understand that affection that God has shown for us, the more freely we're going to be able to show affection for other people. Now, I want to clarify. I know some of you are not touchy-feely people, right? So I, I get it. I, I kind of am somewhat touchy-feely. I, I tend to be more of a affectionate with my words kind of person. And over the years, I've realized other people don't, they don't think quite that way, right? So for some of you, you think of affection in terms of doing, Right? And I would say that's, that's great. You can show affection through your words and through doing both. Really, I'd say we ought to do both. And Paul, as he kind of unfolds this, we'll see. It's really about speaking and doing. It's not just one or the other. But I, I, want, I want you to see the contrast here. Paul is saying affection is not flattery. That's not the same thing, right? Flattery is saying nice things to people just to get them to do what you want. You understand? That's not affection. And that's what Paul is saying He's contrasting with that. He's saying he was like a mother nursing a child, right? Giving life to a child, caring for a child, raising a child. Those of you that have kids, you understand this. Sometimes we think when we have children, those children are going to give affection to us, right? We have this kind of fantasy like, I'll have kids and they'll give me affection and I'll be so happy. And, and then you have kids and you realize that's really not how it works, right? That's really not how it works at all. You, you have this baby that just takes from you. Uh, and if you're really a good mom, you recognize that. You're the mature one, they're the baby, and your job is to give nourishment to that child. Your job is to give to that child, to raise that child, to enable that child to be healthy. And so that's, that's what Paul is contrasting here. He's talking about false teachers that are greedy, that want to take from people, and then he's talking about true teachers that give, that want to give life. And so when we think about the context of community for us, when we live in community with other disciples, other followers of Christ, do we give to them? Do we show affection the way Paul talks about it here, being like a nursing mother, or do we take? 
I, I want to contrast this with two images. I have an image of an old McDonald's ad. Apparently this is a Chinese one, but I was looking for <laughs> at least the words I wanted are in English. You deserve a break today. Anybody remember that one? I think that, that was their 80s slogan. Um, that just a beautiful picture of consumerism, right? And I'm not a McDonald's hater. I like McDonald's. But, uh, but just a, a really crystal clear picture of what consumerism is. Paul's saying it wasn't that. It wasn't flattering you to get you to buy my product. That's not what I did. When I brought the gospel to you, I showed genuine affection to you. I gave you what you needed, nourishment, right? Like here's a, a mama delighting in her child. Paul says that's, that's more what it looks like. That's more what affection as community looks like, is showing genuine care, just delighting in someone unconditionally, not because that child can take care of you. You know, maybe if you raise it right, it will when it's 40. But at first, right, it's not going to help you out at all. It's going to be a drain on you. And Paul's saying, I came to you like a, like a nursing mother. I cared for you. I showed affection for you. He says, and again, in verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And he contrasts that with those that are seeking glory, using words of flattery to get money and glory from other people. Throughout the New Testament, false teachers are those that just want followers. If, if I become that kind of leader or other leaders of the church become that kind of leader, just leave, okay? Then, then something's gone wrong. Our, our job is to encourage you with the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. That's our job is to, to fill you up, to nourish you with the word of God. To, to care for you gently, not to take from you, not to, not to make you our follower, not to take, it says, take glory, right? Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people. That's always a mark of false teachers. We'll see that as we begin to study Galatians more. There are these teachers that just want followers. They're just zealous for followers. We should be, as leaders, zealous for your growth, zealous to see you healthy, zealous to see you trusting Jesus more. So hold us accountable to that, but then also you, as ministers of Christ, where God sends you out into the community, you need to share with people that way as well. Not just trying to get people to be your buddy, not just getting them to follow you, but showing affection in the sense of, I care for you, I want what's best for you, I, I love you. So what are some ways we can do this? I just have some, um, just some practical ways to show affection in community, so that we would have a better, healthier discipleship community here. One is share resources. Share resources. Um, what are some resources you've got? You've got time, right? When you're hurting, uh, when you've lost a loved one, just sharing time, not talking and explaining everything. That's the big mistake Christians make when someone's hurting. Don't, don't talk a bunch. Just be there with people. Cry with people. Show a, show a presence with people. Don't try to explain everything, but be there. Share your time. Um, also, you can share food, right? This is one of my favorite things if you want to share things with me. Um, God's gifted me as an eater. It's one of my skills. But, but that's a way, you know, throughout history, people fellowship together. It's an intimate thing to eat with, with someone else. We encourage each other with, with food. Share your home. Share your home. You don't have to have the perfect home to show hospitality to other people, to bless people by having them over, by having a party or having them over for a meal. Share, share your home. Share what you have. Share your knowledge. 
you have knowledge to share. You might not be a teacher, but you can still teach other people, right? You, you may not uh, have some kind of degree in theology, but you can teach other people what it looks like to follow Christ as a mom or as a teacher or as a student or as a single, whatever stage of life you're in. You can share what God's been teaching you, and you can share that with other people. The, the other thing I, I want us to think about when we talk about affection is just our, our posture, right? And what I would say is we need to have a posture of liking people, Okay. And that's kind of hard sometimes, especially if you're trying to run from the flattery thing, right? So you're like, I don't want to be that slimy flatterer person. So you run over here and you're like hard and cynical. So don't run that far, okay? Kind of stay in the middle and have a posture of, of showing people the benefit of the doubt. Being kind to people. God likes you in Jesus, right? Sometimes we get this mixed up and we think that God's forgiven me of my sins, but he really can't stand me. You ever think that way? You don't have to raise your hand. But I think often, I, I counsel people a lot, I think often people think that. They think God forgives me of my sins because he has to, because this whole cross thing, but he really doesn't like me. He's disgusted with me. That's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is God has an affectionate desire for you. He loves you. He delights in you as his very own child. He's pleased with you through Christ. He's happy with you in Jesus. And we should share that kind of affection with others. We should have a posture of like. We should like other people as Jesus likes us. Share kind words. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Be a good listener. Um, don't be the kind of person that just is like, okay, okay, are you done? All right, now I can say my part, right? You, you do that sometimes. I've, I've caught myself doing that sometimes. Uh, we want to actually listen to what other people say. Don't just wait for your turn, but listen to what they're saying while someone else is talking. Make eye contact, care, take time with people. And this last one is smile. I think this is a great one. Um, just smile. People appreciate that. Did you know it's like infectious when you smile? It, it kinda, it's like when you, when you yawn, but this is better, right? It, you can pass it on. You can smile, and it helps other people to smile. It brightens other people's day. So I'd encourage you to smile. It's a blessing that you can show to other people, showing affection to them. Share what you have. Be, again, as Paul said, gentle with others. Give to others. Like a nursing mother, a nursing mother literally gives physically of herself for the growth and health of the other. That's what we're called on to be as Christians. If we want to build a community of affection and discipleship here at this church, we would actually give of ourselves to other people. We'd show affection. We'd share resources. Uh, we would l love and like each other well. The next thing that Paul talks about is challenge. Challenge. We want to have a community of challenge. And so the first one is, is kind of the lens of being relational. A disciple should be relational, be part of a family. The second one is focusing more on the rational side, the learner side, right? Uh, the way we see it is we want to trust in God's grace. We also want to submit to the Bible in community. So we want to be people that are being challenged by God's word. Are you being challenged and challenging others by God's word? Let's look at how Paul unpacks it here in verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12. He says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Interesting. Um, I was talking about teaching, right? Challenging people with truth. And Paul doesn't just say we challenged you with the truth. He says that we proclaim the gospel of God. But he also says we worked hard. We worked hard. We weren't a burden to you. There are two elements there that are important. He'll unpack them some more here. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we have, again, these two things together. He's challenging them with words. He's teaching, exhorting, encouraging, and he's living differently. He's being blameless. He's being righteous in his character. He's working hard physically to make money so he's not a physical burden to them as well. Paul's clear in other texts, 1 Corinthians 9, 9, he says the, uh, we shouldn't muzzle the ox, right? He, he lays out this foundation that most churches follow, that it's right and good and okay to pay teachers. It's okay to hire staff. I appreciate that. Y'all, y'all help me to feed my family by paying me a salary as a church. We have other staff members on the church, right? So we wouldn't say it's wrong to ever pay staff. But what Paul would say is in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, it's right to pay staff. And then he says the same thing in Galatians 6. He talks about it other places, but repeatedly he says, but I don't do that. I don't take a paycheck. Paul says he thinks it's actually more effective for the mission. It's more effective to not take a paycheck because in that way he's giving them a real example of what it means to follow Christ. He's, he's showing them more clearly as a missionary. This is, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So he's challenging them not just with his words, but with his lifestyle. And so what I want you all to understand is uh, those of you that are not on staff at the church, which is all but four of us, right? So that's the vast majority of the members of this congregation. You are actually postured better to be a missionary like Paul than we are. What, What Paul would say is you could be more effective than I can because when people look at your life, they can say this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus that's a student. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus that's a a teacher or a doctor or a soldier or a lawyer or a business owner. And so Paul says, that was my my missionary strategy. I believe it's right and good to be supported by a church, but if I'm bringing the gospel into new places, I'm not going to take a paycheck from those people. I'm going to work hard. Paul made tents. I have a goofy old picture here of people sewing tents together. It's a creepy picture. I don't know why I picked that one. but, um, But we know from the book of Acts, that Paul made tents, right? So he worked with his hands. He physically worked and made money doing this other thing so that then he could be an example of this is what it looks like to follow Christ. I'm going to work hard with my own hands, do my own thing, and then I'm showing you as well as telling you what it looks like to be a disciple. So that's a great way to challenge people. Recognize that you, uh, most of you, are in a better position to challenge others in their discipleship even than I am. I feel like God's called me to study and prepare and to teach and unpack the scriptures for you so that you can be more effective missionaries where you are. And Paul is saying, this is a great strategy here. Paul's saying, I can challenge others, and he says it like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You have an incredible opportunity to do this. And so as we're refocusing on discipleship, we're saying the whole congregation should be a community of discipleship. The whole congregation should be a community of people challenging and encouraging one another in our faith. That's our prayer for Grace Bible Church, that this would bleed through the entire community. We don't just think discipleship is for leaders. Discipleship is for Christians. A disciple is a follower of Christ. So are you going to follow Christ and encourage and exhort and challenge each other in your faith. What are ways that you could do that? Um, again, the first thing, Paul talks about this hard work, right? Think of Daniel in the book of uh, Daniel. He's this great example of someone who did hard work and he worked 
for a pagan administration. He worked in government, and he loved the people he worked for. But he didn't work for a church, right? He, he didn't work for a Christian ministry or Christian organization, but he's this great example of hard work, loving and caring for those around him, honoring God with his choices, and being effective as God's man in that place in that time. All, all of you can, can live that way. Again, if you believe that God has given truth to you through Jesus, then you can give truth to others, and you can live out that model through hard work. It's a great way to challenge others just by your example. There's also the missionary posture that I already mentioned this, that, that you are, uh, again, the, the one that can show people what it looks like more effectively than I can in many ways. And then the last thing I want you to think about is just saying hard things to people. Um, in our culture, this is a hard thing to do, but, but Paul uses three words for this, right? He says, we exhorted, we encouraged, and we charged, right? So I use the word challenge in community. This, this whole, whole thing maybe could be summed up in challenging. Are we challenging each other? Are we encouraging each other to take next steps? Um, I want to fixate on the word encourage because that's the most common word in the New Testament for this kind of thing as Christians. And this word is parakaleo. In the Greek, it literally means to come alongside. So, so envision uh, a physical therapist or envision a coach or envision a patient tutor coming alongside saying, I believe in you, you can do more. I want to challenge you to submit to the scriptures, to walk in freedom, to obey God. That, that's what that can look like. Again, we, we challenge others not from a posture of, of judgment, right? We're not standing here pointing at other people saying, hey, I've got it all together and you need to get your stuff together like me. That, that's not what we're doing. We're coming alongside. We're, we're supporting. We're encouraging each other. My question is, do you have relations like that? Do you have relationships like that among believers? We can encourage each other just by singing together. The scriptures are clear. Singing to one another is an encouragement. Scriptures are clear that we can be encouraged by gathering and hearing God's word preached. But are you sharing life and encouraging each other relationally? Do, do you know each other? Is there another Christian or two in your life that you can ask hard questions, that you can dig, that you can pray for, that you can challenge? I believe that's what Paul is saying we need to do if we want to be a community of discipleship. The last thing that Paul hits on is suffering as community. We talk about this as being the church on mission, right? Not just going to church, but being the church. God's church are a people that he's sent into the world. And so the way Paul talks about this here is uh, suffering, joining with Paul, imitating him and imitating the other believers of, of suffering in our following of Christ. He talks about it in verses uh, one through four, when he talks about how the gospel came in, Paul says, we suffered, and that's how we brought the gospel to you. And then if you jump down to the end, verses 13 through 16, he talks again about, and then you suffered also. He says in verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul says this, this is a mark of real ministry is that the word of God is received as authoritative as the word of God and then it works, right? He says it's at work in you believers. So if you receive the word of God and nothing happens in your life, the logic is you haven't really received the word of God, right? That you haven't really received it. So a lot of times in our culture that's confusing because we live in a what's sometimes called Christendom, this kind of Christianized culture where we, we think if we've gone to a religious event, or we've signed a religious commitment card, or we've 
uh, gone through some kind of religious act or walked an aisle or cried at camp or whatever it might be, that then we belong to Jesus. But he would say, no, the word's got to be at work in your life. There's got to be spiritual transformation taking place. Now, we want to be real careful not to be judgmental people that are saying, well, you know, you're not uh, growing as fast as I grew, so you must be lost. You know, we don't want to make those kind of judgments, but I just want you to hear that if nothing's happening, if the word's not at work in your life, then probably you need to meet Jesus. This Jesus that came after you, that died for your sins, that loves you, that gives himself for you. You probably need to have a real uh, encounter with him and receive the word of God so that it can be at work in your heart. So he says, this word was at work in you believers because you received it not as the words of men, but as the word of God. Verse 14, he says, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind, hindering us to speak to the nations about being saved. So he's saying these, these Jews, these, these factions were opposing the gospel going forward and they were persecuting people and so these people were suffering. And he's saying, you know how I know that you really received the word of God? Because it started working in your life when you were willing to join in suffering with others. So Paul's saying that's, that's a mark of being a follower of Jesus, is being willing to suffer like Jesus suffers. Again, we love other people because he loved us. Um, we challenge other people and are challenged to grow ourselves because he challenged us to not stay where we are. And, and then here he's saying that we, we suffer because he suffered for us. We're willing to go and to do hard things and to step out of our comfort zone, to be someone that serves others in painful ways because Jesus did that for us. Jesus, Jesus left the comfort of heaven and took on flesh and lived for us. The, the gospel is that he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, and then he died a sacrificial death, and that he rose from the dead promising that we can have life as well. And so it, when we really accept that, believe that, trust in that, we're going to begin imitating that. It's going to begin to bear fruit in our own lives. I have a picture here, uh, an old woodcut of the martyrdom of Stephen. He was one of the first martyrs in the Bible in Acts chapter 7. Um, we've seen all kinds of horrible pictures on the Internet about martyrs in the Middle East, right? People being killed for their faith. Um, and, and what I want you to understand is, is first of all, we, we should have a willingness to suffer for our faith. That's, that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Secondly, though, we, we don't want to live with a sense of guilt because we live in the West um, we might start getting martyred next week. I don't know. But for right now, most of us are not getting martyred, right? Um, but we're still called to suffer. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Because of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And in Philippians 1, Paul says that he's been left behind on this earth for the purpose of fruitful labor. Paul's purpose in staying behind in this world that we live in, a world of death, and disease, and pain, and broken relationships, we're here, just like Paul, for fruitful labor. That's our purpose. Our purpose is not keeping up with the Joneses. That's not why he left us here. Our purpose is not for heaven now. Our purpose is to, to share heaven with other people. Our purpose is here is fruitful labor, as Paul says in Philippians 1, 22. So my question is, what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your life wh where God has postured you in your job, in your cubicle, in your neighborhood, where he's placed you? What does it look like to offer yourself as an offering, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to be willing to suffer like others suffer? 
what does that look like? Pray that the Lord would give you clarity, that the Lord would say, this, this is the next step I want you to take. Be listening, that he would show you how he wants you to be his hands and feet in the world, to be the church. As we wrap up, I want you to just think about next steps that you can take of community. We have a handout at the back of the room on our small group ministry uh, that our small group's pastor, Stephen, has produced. This is an overview of what small groups should look like. And then on page two is an overview of covenant groups. Small groups are when we gather 10 or 20 in a home or in a class setting at the church, and we're gathering together to share life, to study God's word together, to pray for each other. And that's a great way to take these next steps that we've been discussing of, of community and discipleship. But we also have what we call triads or covenant groups, which is just you grabbing one or two other people. It's like uh, if you're a man, just grabbing another man and y'all meet together and pray and, and begin to submit to the scriptures together in community, right? So it's much more organic, it's less organized, and we also have that on the same handout that can explain what that could look like. Because you might not be able to commit to a regular meeting every week on the same night in the same home or at the same location, but I would encourage you, if you can't, then you need to take the next step of just grabbing one other person, someone of the same gender, and saying, hey, let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's challenge each other with the scriptures. Let's pray for each other. Let's share life together, show affection of community. Uh, let's suffer together. Let's struggle together as God's people. But I encourage you to take those next steps. I, I'd like you to, if you're not already involved in one of these relationships, to grab one of these handouts on the back tables in the back of the room. We've got more books up here as well about discipleship that you could uh, study if you want to learn more about what this looks like. But, but I encourage you, most of you don't need to study this anymore. You just need to partner with somebody else in discipleship. You, you just need to build community with someone else. Some of you, you might need to study more, but, but most of us, we just need to obey. We just need to allow another human being into our life and begin living life in community, being disciples of Jesus on community together. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've given us community by making us your children through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to understand what it looks like to live as your children, to live as family, to live as community. I pray that you'd help us to take whatever next steps we need to take. God, we pray that you would lead us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.